Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn, apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Vaughn Kohler. What's up, Vaughn? It's good to be with you, Corey. Good to see you, brother. Relatively early here. I mean, I guess not too early for the overachievers that listen to your podcast, but, you know, <laughs> for a guy with uh, four little girls under six, this is early. Yeah, dude. How in the, I, I got to ask, you know, how have you, is it four girls or is it four plus, 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 um, Ke, uh, your wife, Kesh, is it Kesha? Kasha. Yeah. Kasha. So I got a wife. I got a wife, and I've got uh, four little girls, six, four, one and a half, and four months. Wow. So, oh, it says, uh, they're telling me I got to turn down my speaker. Hold on. Oh, does that work? Yeah, I mean, that sounds good to me. Okay, so good. Much, says so much feedback. I turned both of my speakers down. Uh-huh. I am way down on both of my speakers. Yeah, so am I. So, uh, all right, let's rock and roll. Um, so, Vaughn, I am super, super excited to hear about your story. I mean, I everybody knows Vaughn the Impaler, uh, you know, Vaughn Diesel. I know a lot of people know a lot about you, but I don't know how many people know your story. Well, I'm happy to, to share it. I think that... Um, What I think is really helpful for most people with my story is that it's kind of a story of how you can be really passionate about something and how you can have really, you know, plans that you think are set in stone and then life doesn't turn out at all like you thought it was going to turn out uh, and it ended up being better, you know? Um, And so I think, um, you know, as I was telling you before, Corey, I think two qualities that really helped me and I don't I don't I feel like these are gifts that God gave me I don't feel like they're they're things that I came up with myself but um, I'm I'm a pretty adaptable person 
I adjust to the situation pretty quickly. Um, and then the other thing is I, for the most part, I mean, everybody has specific fears in life, but for the most part, I, I, I feel like God's been able to give me a real confidence in moving forward and making decisions and adjusting to life. And so I, I, you know, I, as I get ready to tell my story to me, uh, if someone in, in the audience is just struggling with the, the massive changes that are going on in, in the country right now, in the economy and the culture, and if they're kind of fearful, if they have anxiety, I, you know, listen to the story because I think it'll give you some hope and it'll give you some insight and some direction. So I think a lot of people that listen to the, to the podcast know that I, you know, faith is really important to me. And, uh, you know, from a very young age, you know, I was born into a Christian family, um, you know, my dad went to Christian college. My my you know, my parents were just always active in ministry, although that they didn't do that for a full time career. Um, what I think was really wonderful about the way that my parents raised me, however, is that they modeled faith. They didn't shove it down my throat. Yes, I was expected to be in church. Yes, I was expected to go to Sunday school. But when I looked at them, they just seemed to just so genuinely enjoy it themselves that it didn't seem like something like, I just have to do this. You know, I wanted to do it. And I, you know, I was a pretty much what they would call in the South, like a good Sunday school kid, you know, in the Bible Belt. And I was like that for most of my life up until about my my junior year of, of high school. Um, but I would say that there was kind of something missing um, I think, you know, a lot of people would call themselves, quote unquote, religious. They're, you know, especially, you know, if you're from the Midwest or the South. It's just kind of part of the culture. Right. And um, and I was like that. But just something was missing. It was just more something that like it was authentic, but it was something that I kind of just did. I, I, you know, punched my time clock every Sunday and, and uh, you know, did my duty as a good moral kid. But when I was a junior in high school, I met another guy who kind of was in the same situation that I was. And God used that friendship to really spark a fire in me to, to really want to not just be quote unquote religious, but really to know God and to, and to, uh, to really take my Christian faith seriously. And, and so I started exploring who Jesus really was and what the faith was all about. And I just got on fire, ended up going to college. When I was in college, I studied rhetoric, which is the art of persuasion, um, and uh, yeah, so that, but to be honest with you, that has been extremely relevant my whole life. Those principles of persuasion and influence and writing that I learned have, have, have basically helped me succeed in life and, and get jobs. But when I, was a, uh, when I was a college student, when I was a junior, I felt the call to ministry. And so um, I went away to seminary. I actually ended up go, going to three seminaries. The first one I left for a girl. The second one I left for money, <laughs> and then I finally, I finally, uh, <laughs> I finally finished uh, at a Baptist seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was super excited about being a pastor. But at the time when I graduated, I was about twenty-five or twenty-six. I might have been a little bit older than that, and um, and and basically I was single, so I was like, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready to be like a senior pastor, you know, head over the church because I didn't have a wife and kids and wasn't sure if I was ready to do that. Well, I got an opportunity to go back to my home state um, to be an associate pastor who did all the things that pastors do, preach and counsel and marry people and perform funerals. But my major my major emphasis was on uh, ministering to students, high school students, junior high school students, 
college students and I loved it because I'm a big college like I love college students um, I love the the point in life that they're at they're you know obviously there are a lot of college students that are slackers but in general college students are just like really really um, you know they're wrestling with the big big deep issues of life they have big dreams and so I love working with them and and I had an opportunity to not only go back to my um, to, to my home state but uh, I was invited to be a pastor at Manhattan, Kansas, which is where Kansas State University is. So it was a college town. I was super excited about it. I served there for like, you know, 11 years. It was so great. While I was there, I got a, a master's of art in English with an emphasis on creative writing. But as I, as I went on, I started feeling two pulls in my life. One was that I love college students so much that I thought, well, I think maybe I want to move on from the ministry in the church setting and I want to be a college professor because I'm kind of an egghead. I'm kind of a nerd. Um, and, uh, and so I started thinking about that, but the other thing, and, and this is going to, for anybody who's sort of familiar with the different denominations and traditions of Christianity, this is going to really feel weird to them, but I started studying church history and I started studying stuff and I, I, I started learning more about the Catholic church. And so I was a Baptist pastor who decided to become Catholic. And because, because I've decided to become Catholic, um, I couldn't be a pastor anymore, you know, because I wasn't going to be, I wasn't called a singleness. No way. Like I wanted to be married and I knew that. So at 38 years of my life, because of my studying and because of the, the, I felt like the desires that God put in my heart, um, all of a sudden I got to completely reboot my life. I got to completely start over. And I knew that I had, I knew that I had skills and I knew that I had uh, talent. And anybody who's been in the ministry knows that you can't succeed in the ministry unless you have certain basic skills. Um, skills that usually translate pretty well into business. But that being said, my entire, uh, my entire resume was for ministry. Like I didn't have, you know, where most guys my age had, had at least a decade of experience I had none. Um, and, and so I had to really get smart and I got, I had to get creative. And so what I ended up doing was, um, I knew I wanted to work at a local, a college, uh, two hours from, from Manhattan. I moved to Kansas city just outside, uh, Kansas city was the, was this college called, um, Benedictine college. And I wanted to work for them. So I analyzed their college. I figured out what they needed and I tailored a, a presentation to the president of college uh, based on, I said, here's what I see that you need and here's what I can provide for you. And I, I made this like the best presentation in the world. And I thought I was going to be there for like three minutes. I ended up being there for three hours. He was super enthused. He was very, he well received. And so I ended up getting a job there and that didn't last long because my girlfriend at the time, she was finishing up um, medical school, her residency so then we moved to St. Louis, and uh, I got to tell you, when I moved to St. Louis, Corey, I was extremely, extremely cocky. I was like, well, I just talked myself into a job, so I can do it again when I get to St. Louis. Of so I well, started well, let me trying stop to contact. You real, let me yeah. stop you real quick. So, so I have to ask, Vaughn, when you said I had to make the, I made, I made this decision to start over and move faiths, what what was it that attracted you to the Catholic faith? Well, that's a big question. That's like asking me why I love my wife. But um, 
But I, I would say, I would say um, there's three things. One is that when you, when you really start studying the history of the church, to me, it became obvious that Jesus only wanted to found one church. He didn't want to found 120,000 different denominations, everyone claiming to be Christian and having a lot of various different views of things. I, I want to I clarify that I had an extremely positive experience as, as a Protestant Christian, as an evangelical. Um, so I have, you know, I, I consider them brothers and, and I just, um, you know, I, there's no judgment there. But I, that was the first thing is that I believe that Jesus founded one church. I, didn't, I don't think he intended us to be split up into all these different denominations and traditions. The second thing is, is that, you know, I've always been a real lover of the Bible. And uh, I really came to the conclusion that if everybody's allowed to interpret the Bible for themselves, you're going to have billions of different interpretations, like who's right and who's wrong. Because if you look at the history of the Bible, there are Southern theologians that used it to support slavery. There are people who, in the past who have used it to support all sorts of bizarre stuff. Hitler co-opted the Bible to, to justify persecuting the Jews. So it's like how, you know, what, what interpretation is correct and what isn't. And I don't think a, I don't think a book interprets itself. You've got to, you've got to have a whole system. And, and that's what I, I felt that the Catholic church promised, but ultimately at the end of the day, there was, there was also, there's all sorts of different things. Like I do believe that the early church believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, which is part of the Catholic belief. Um, uh, you know, I, I believe that in, in, in a lot of the, I discovered that a lot of the things that, well, everything that the Catholic church teaches is actually supported by the Bible. It's just that most Protestants don't know that. So there's a lot of different reasons that, that kind of all come down to one, one thing, which is I, I believe that their claims to be the church were true. So, um, so basically, you know, I get to St. Louis, great question, by the way. So I get to St. Louis and, um, and I'm real cocky, and I think, oh, I'm just going to talk myself into a job. Doesn't happen. I don't get any bites. Okay, the only thing I get is basically this, this local magazine who knows that I'm a good writer, and they're going to pay me to write articles. But, I mean, I get like $225 an article. It's not a full-time job. <laughs> so, finally, I just sort of get dis- – I go into despair. Uh, but I keep moving, and I do two things. One is I started my own job, my own business, as a ghostwriter. And I, I didn't really get that off the ground right away. But the second thing I did was that I, I took this job as a water purification salesman with Tri-County Water and Air. It's the only job that was offered to me. It was actually pretty good pay because, as you know, sales, you, you can make good money in sales. But it was just not something that I was, I was passionate about. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm about to turn 40. I had these great dreams for my life, and I'm being a water purification salesman, right? So I said, okay, that's fine. I got to support my family. I got to, I got to adapt. I got to pivot. I got to do whatever is necessary to keep moving on. And that's a key that I think people need to understand is that taking a detour off the highway does not mean you're not going in, in, in the right direction. Okay. Sometimes people think, well, this is my ultimate destination and I had to get off on this detour. I need to get off on this exit. And so my whole life is, is, is ruined. No, it's not. It just meant that you had to take a small detour on your way to your ultimate destination. And that's right, what I but, told myself. But you got to keep, you got to keep the main prize uh, still in sight. If you have that detour, right? So you got to make sure that yes, the detour is super, super important, but at the same time, you have to keep focused on the prize on the main goal. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, a better, maybe a better analogy is that, you know, if you're racing the Indy 500, you're going to have to make a pit stop. But you yes. don't want to stay at the pit stop. You want to finish the race. Perfect. So, so that's, that's kind of what the way I was. So, you know, I went through the training and, um, but I was a little disappointed. I was, you know, I remember driving out to my first sales call. It's a bleak Southern Illinois uh, evening just outside of St. Louis. It's cold. It's like in February. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty down. Um, and all of a sudden I get this call literally on my way to my first, first sales call. I get this call from a guy named Bobby Keppel, who is the, uh, the publisher of the magazine that I written stories for. And he says, um, he says, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? He said, do you want to be the editor of our magazine full time? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, we're a startup, so we can't pay you a lot, but it is a full time salary. And he was right. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot, although it was kind of like the equivalent of maybe a first year teacher. And what mattered was that it was enough for me to earn so that I could maybe build my ghostwriting business and, and get other things going. And so I said, sure. I showed up at my first sales call, you know, it was this young couple. I, uh, I got to the point in the presentation where usually they have the very first, um, objection and they're like well we think it's a little expensive for us i go you're right it totally is great great talking to you i'll see you later and they laughed they're like well you're you're not real you know relentless and i and i told them the whole story and i told them about how i was actually going to get to be doing something i loved with, with his writing and and the guy's like that is awesome good for you so i gave him a gift certificate to home depot and uh <laughs> And so I basically, um, I basically, that was a moment of hope where all of a sudden God opened up this opportunity to do something a little bit more in keeping with what my skill set is and what I'm passionate about, which is writing that, that those years or so at the magazine were fantastic. Cause I learned how to interview people. I, I made, you know, really good connections, but the first week that I was at Actually, the first day after after Bobby asked me to be the editor, he said, um, I also want you to continue writing for us. And he said, I have a guy that I want you to write an article about. And I said, oh, who's that? He said, well, he's a local entrepreneur who's very successful. He's kind of a big wig. And he's a larger than life personality. I said, who's that? He said, his name is Andy Frisella. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And so, you know, kind of the rest is history. It's, uh, it's, it, it's a case where I... Um, I basically, you know, met him. We really hit it off. I wrote an article about him. Uh, he loved it. We got talking. We, we started having great conversations. The next thing I know, you know, he's posting. Oh, the next thing I know, I asked him, I said, you have great ideas. You want me to write an article or a book about you or a book for you? And he said, well, I'm a good writer, but I could use some help, you know, writing a book just because I don't have the time. So we started you know, having these conversations about different topics, he would record them and he'd post his clips on social media. People went crazy. People asked him, where's your podcast? He said, podcast? I don't even know what a podcast is. So he, at the time, you know, a couple years ago, it was almost like the only people that had podcasts were like, you know, geeks who bought Macs or knew a lot about gaming. It wasn't a big thing like it is now. And so, um, we looked into it and he's like, I want to have a podcast to help people build businesses and help them be successful in life. And he said, and I want you to be the co-host because we have a great dynamic in the way that we have a conversation. And I said, 
okay. And it was a little bit of a stretch for me because even though I thought he was awesome, like, you know, Andy, he's fire breathing and drops the F-bomb and everything. So I'm like, man, they're not going to let me back in church, you know. But really, it, it ended up being just a fantastic thing. And, and the last five years have been surreal, you know. And I've been able to be part of some really cool stuff, um, not the least of which is, you know, Arate, which I, I – which I think is how you and I made connection. And I've met just some really amazing people. I mean, who would have thought that I, I would have met uh, the man who killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, you know, I've met Lou Holtz. I've met Urban Meyer. I mean, just all these amazing movers and shakers, not only the celebrities and the people that everybody knows, but people like yourself and people like um, the people in the RTA syndicate and the RTA accelerator who are true, truly exceptional people. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like I ever thought it was going to be, but I have been given a platform over the last five years. That's been fantastic. I've been able to write, um, uh, and, and, you know, people are great. They're, they, they engage my page in a really great way. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's just a real blessing. It's been awesome. And I've learned so many so many great life skills and so many business skills. And uh, Andy's had a really powerful influence on me in terms of raising my, my level of excellence. And um, you know, as, as you can imagine, like he's hard on you at times. I don't know if you all have, have uh, watched the, um, the, uh, the first couple episodes of the, of the documentary about the bulls, but it's interesting because they talk about like Michael Jordan and the bulls, you know, from oh, the nineties, the last no. dance it's on ESPN right now. It just, it just had its second episode and there's a consistent theme and that it's that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And he did not settle for anything less than the best of the people around him. And he would get in their faces and he would be mean. And um, sometimes Andy can be really intense, but I realized that I, I saw this parallel, you know, that when you care about excellence so much, you're willing to get, you know, in somebody's face. And I, I remember a conversation we had about six months ago where I was kind of feeling a little bit down and I was like, bro, I, I completely fall short of your standards. And, and I like, you know, kind of felt like a slacker. And he goes, bro, there's nobody on the planet with higher standards than me. So he's like, so don't feel bad. Like compared to the rest of the world, He's like, you're up here, but that's not where we want to be. We want to be up here, you know? So, so that was, that was a great feeling. And, and, um, um, yeah, I just, uh, it's, it's been kind of crazy, you know, it's been kind of crazy, but it's kind of good. And like I said, Corey, a lot of it just really comes down to, um, spiritual principles that I've learned over the course of my life that are applicable, not just to spiritual health, but are applicable to practical success and all that really ha have helped me be adaptable, have a good attitude to adjust. And also just at the end of the day to be fearless. And when I say fearless, I don't mean, I mean, we all know that that old saying that fear does not mean that you're not nervous or you're anxious. It means that you're willing to act in spite of your fear. You're, you're, and so that's kind of where I've always been. I've never been someone who's been paralyzed by anxiety or, or fear. Although I have had an anxiety attack. Oh, um, I was just going to say, you got you, you have to tell me about the anxiety attack story. This episode of the successful life podcast is brought to you by house call pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, 
or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's see. It was last summer. Um, leading up to last summer, I had, uh, I had basically had these really weird symptoms. Like I would fall asleep and then all of a sudden I'd go, <gasps> and I'd wake up. And it was almost like I was having a heart attack. It was kind of freaky. And I would feel this pain on my chest. And we don't have a history of heart disease, like a real significant history in my family. However, my paternal grandfather did have a heart attack, but he didn't have a heart attack until, oh, I, you know, until he was 60, I think. So I didn't think it was that, but I was really worried. Well, one day I'm at work and uh, all of a sudden I feel this pain in my chest, like my chest is caving in and I freaked. And I got to tell you, I'm not, not to pack Like it's very unusual for me to freak. Um, I usually handle stuff pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty even keel, but um, so I freak and I'm at work and I run over to Drew, which a lot of people who know he's in the office, Drew and Jason are in the office and, but it's just Drew at the time. And I run in and he sees my face and he's like, dude, what's the matter? I go, Drew, I got to go. I got to go. He's like, Vaughn, what's the matter? I said, I, 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 I got I to get to emergency room. So I, so I started running out of first form. Testament to what a great guy Drew is. He's running after me. He's like, bro, what's going on? I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. He's like, well, if you're having a heart attack, you can't drive yourself <laughs> to the emergency room. Right. And I was like, no, 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 no. I got to do it. So I hop in my car and I start speeding to the emergency room, which the one I was going to go to was like 30 minutes away. I mean, well, 20 minutes away because I knew it's where I had insurance. I mean, that, I at least kept my, <laughs> kept my thoughts to know that. So, so in the meantime, he calls Andy and he's like, I don't know what's going on. So I'm about, so in the meantime, my I call my wife and I tell her, I said, honey, I think I'm having a heart attack. She's like, honey, you got to pull over. I go, no, 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 I got to get out. She goes, no, you got to pull over. So, Anyway, um, I got off the phone with her, and uh, and meanwhile, I didn't know this because she couldn't get a hold of me. She was freaking out. She calls Alex Spinoso because we're friends, and Alex, because she doesn't know the number to first form. She doesn't know anybody there. Um, well, I mean, she doesn't know how to contact them. So she calls Alex, who has connections, and Alex is just you know awesome, and he connects with people and tries to figure out what's going on. So I get about halfway down the road, the phone rings and it's Andy. And he's like, dude, what's going on? I go, dude, I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. And he goes, listen, dude, chill. I said, what? He said, chill. He said, you're not having a heart attack. I know this because this happens to me all the time. And I said, what, what? No, I'm having a heart attack. He goes, no. He said, you're having an anxiety attack. He said, you'll be fine. Just take a deep breath. And I got to admit, the minute he said that, like my brain was like, oh, maybe I'm not having a heart attack. And so I significantly, like the pain subsided and I, not, not totally, but it subsided a little bit. And I started breathing a little bit. He goes, where are you? And so I told him I was near the, the quick trip. He said, listen, call 911, go to the quick trip. You know, I'll meet you there, but trust me, dude, you're not having a heart attack. So I get there. 
911, the ambulance shows up. Andy pulls up in his, you know, Rolls Royce. And he's just cracking jokes and everything. And he's like, this, he thinks he's having a heart attack. He thinks he's going to die. He's like, he's not going to die. Well, they hooked me up and they said, basically, yeah, this isn't a heart attack. Your heart is fine. He said, but we want to we say, do you want us to take you to the hospital? And I said, well, you can't take me to St. Luke's because that's where my insurance is. And, and, and they said, nah, I mean, we'd take you to the closest one. And, you know, so Andy says, well, I'll take him. So I get in, I'm still kind of delirious from all this, you know, and, uh, <laughs> he's kind of talking me off the ledge. And literally the next thing I know, we're at the hospital in the emergency room. And I'm like, dude, I thought this place was 20 minutes away. He's like, well, we're going a little faster than normal. You got He's like 95. And he goes, I figured if we pulled over, I'd be like, hey, dudes, dude need to get to the emergency room. So so we get there and 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 really, you know, to be honest with you, Corey, I, I was a little I was a little pissed at myself. I was like, man, this is I thought I was good at handling anxiety. And the doctor told me something really interesting. He said, You actually are probably very good at handling anxiety. But the reality is is that human beings physically have a threshold. And it's not so much that you can't emotionally take it, but physically you have a threshold. And when you go over that threshold, your body starts telling you, you need to be more active about dealing with this. And so if you really think about, as I really thought about the the years leading up to um, that anxiety attack, I mean, I I had a massive change in my career. We moved from a town that I love to St. Louis uh, from Manhattan to a town that, uh, to St. Louis, uh, I got married, which is great, but it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big life change. Um, I had kids, which is a big life change. My dad died. Um, so I had a lot of stuff that just added, added up. And, and over time I realized, well, maybe I hadn't been, maybe I hadn't been as aggressive as I needed to be to really deal with that stress. And so it got me thinking back toward certain principles of, of, uh, spiritual truth that I was able to then reaffirm and reassert. And it really helped. Um, you know, I, I, I think as humans, we're bodies and souls. And, um, and so I was doing a good job of exercising, but if you take care of it's, it's, it's a, it's a both and it's not an either or you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your soul. So you can take care. A lot of people take care of their bodies. They don't take care of their soul, care of their souls. But the flip side is you got a lot of Christians and other people who are spiritual who Spend a lot of time, you know, reading the Bible and praying, but they don't exercise. You got to do it all. You got to, you got to make sure you take care of yourself physically and take care of yourself spiritually. And so I, that was just something that really prompted me to, to go back to what I believed and say, okay, what is the source for being fearless? What is the source for dealing with my anxiety? And I, and I took some time and, you know, focused on that again and, and was able to a, achieve a better peace, a daily peace in life. Now, listen, I mean, life is hard. Life is stressful for everybody. So when you have a peace, it doesn't mean that you're not going to stress sometimes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be anxious sometimes. But on balance, if you really put your trust in the Lord, if you really, you know, continue to meditate on the right things, you can have, you can be really, you can be a rock in the midst of a, a storm and you can, you can have a peace in the midst of chaos. And by and large, that's kind of what I've learned to ha- learned to have. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I'd love to talk more with you about that. 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because that's a, it's actually a great segue to maybe talk a little bit about what's going on right now. Right, Vaughn? I mean, because it's such, it's not, you know, it really depends on how you look at it. It's whether it's chaotic right now or whether it's not chaotic right now. Right now, for me, I know, I, you know, I don't listen to any kind of news. I don't listen to any, I don't get any news. And the reason I don't is because I want to be shielded from the million different churches, so to speak, out, you know, of opinions that what's going on right now with this pandemic. So what do you think, Vaughn? What do you think is going on? Well, there's a lot. I mean, oh, I have no idea. I, I, I don't pretend to know everything that's going on. I definitely think the media has hyped things too much. I think that uh, there are different people in positions of leadership uh, publicly uh, that have not been responsible about how they've communicated about this coronavirus. Um, I feel like right now, those of us who have any sense uh, and are rational human beings are kind of caught between the extremists who think that this isn't a problem at all uh, but also the people who don't think shutting down the economy is a problem. So I think we know uh, those of us who are, are pretty balanced and, and understand that it's a serious, it's a serious crisis, but that, you know what, we can't go on much longer with this economy shut down. There's no way this no. is, this is going to hurt more people than it helps. So, but I tell you, my answer to the, all this is that you've got all these forces going on that are be, beyond our control. And what you need to do is focus on the things that you can control. And you, you got to focus on your own sphere of influence and, and what you can take, um, take control of and what is your job uh, to do. And, I, you know, I always love telling this story, Corey. You know, I, I told it at the Arte uh, North Carolina group. But, you know, when my, my dad, before he died, he was a concert pianist at he, he sold big instruments like organs and pianos for a living, but he was an excellent pianist. And when I was a little boy, um, five years old, I took piano, was never quite as good as my dad, but I took piano. And uh, there was a big recital and it, the, the teacher that I took from was, you know, a pretty big deal. And so there was, you know, 200, 300 people at this recital. And uh, I was supposed to do a duet with my dad. And so I sit next to him on this big grand piano and I'm super nervous and I'm sweating. And in front of all of these people, I look up to him and I say, are you sure you can do this? And everybody, everybody just bursts into laughter, you know? And uh, cause it's just so absurd that this concert pianist, like my dad couldn't do this. And he, he looked at me, he's like, yeah, we got this. So I start playing, you know, Mary had a little lamb. I play my note, Mary had a little lamb. And my dad puts his arms around me and he starts playing this flourish of, of notes. And it just makes this single note beautiful. And, it, and he makes the note that I play sound so much more impressive and beautiful and complex. And he makes it all just kind of work together. And, um, and there were times that I went too fast. There were times I went too slow. There were times I played the wrong note. And it didn't really matter because my father just continued to play. And I tell people, you know, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of just a complicated culture, we can't control all the notes. We can only play our note. We can only focus on what we do. We play the note, we play the next note. I love so many aspects of the, of the 
the self-help culture and the success culture and the entrepreneur culture. But one of the things that we have to tweak is that ultimately we're not responsible for the results. And I know that sounds really counterintuitive, but we're not. God is. We're responsible to be relentless, to be good stewards of our time, to be good stewards of our talent and our money. And we're supposed to just be faithful and play our note and God will make sure that the results come that he wants to come. And sometimes those results will not be pleasant or sometimes they'll be painful, but we don't realize that they serve a greater purpose. And so in the midst of this coronavirus and this economy, I really think it's very important for people to realize like you guys, we can't control all this. We can only play our note and trust that our heavenly father is going to come along and he's going to play everything to make it beautiful and make it work out. And, um, I'll be honest with you, like in some ways, Americans need kind of a dose of reality. And what I mean by that is that we've had really good times for a long time. And there are people who are way better than us who, you know, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm 46 years old. I actually dated a girl in high school who's, who's, whose grandfather like lived through the depression. He knew people who were literally millionaires and overnight went to millionaires to homeless and they killed themselves because they couldn't deal with the shock to their system. Most of us that we, you and I, we haven't gone through, I mean, we've, you know, there's been Iraq and there's been Afghanistan, but you and I have not gone through the great depression or the, or world war one or world war two. You go further back from that. We haven't experienced the black plague or the Spanish plague or the Holocaust. And the reality is, is that for most of Americans, we've lived a pretty prosperous life, you know? And what we need to realize is that God does not promise us all sunshine and rainbows. He promises to give us the strength if we go to him to endure all that and to grow through that pain and suffering. So, you know, we've been very, very shielded from sickness and death in America. And the reality is people get sick and they die. And we need to be, re- we need to be ready for that. And we need to accept that as a reality. Um, But I'm excited because I do believe that this Corona thing will make America stronger. Um, I think that the people, it'll thin, I hate to say it this way because this sounds more like social Darwinism than spirituality, but it'll thin the herd. It'll, the people who just want to give up, they'll give up. The people who were kind of strong, but had a real inner strength, they'll get, they'll, they'll rise to the occasion, you know? Uh, they'll, 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 I think this will awaken a lot of sleeping giants, and I'm excited to see what happens. Vaughn, um, you know, so am I. I really am. I'm excited because I think that it's also going to weed out people that, uh, you know, that, that are not willing to make it, that maybe look like they're making it, but not so much. You know, um, there's been a lot of crazy good things that have happened through this um it's made a lot of people you know pivot to a whole different career i mean because they've had to you know so i know that you know georgia is opened up right there or or friday they're opening up i don't think it's going to be much longer Vaughn. i'm going to say may 1st i think we're going to start seeing i think we're going to start seeing some movement i really do yeah I think, I think you're right. Um, we'll see what happens, man. Uh, listen, I, one thing I will have to say is that I think everybody, you, you know, I was talking to my priest and he had a really, really great statement. He said, you know, 
a lot of us who have our opinions about the media, about politicians, about leadership, about what's going on, we have the luxury of having no responsibility. And I, I, and so we can be armchair quarterbacks and we can put, we can criticize the way people are handling things. Cause we're not, we're not in charge. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, I'll just say it right now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm generally speaking, I'm a conservative Republican, but that, and so I, I, there's a lot of, you know, liberal politicians that I don't agree with at all. But I think in, in, at the end of the day, I think most, I think most politicians don't want the death of America. They're doing, they're doing what they think is right. And they're trying to handle the situation. Right. Um, and I, I think that, you know, now, do I think that about the media? I have serious misgivings about the media. Um, and for the record, I, I, I have it for both sides. I think that it's just as wrong to be biased conservatively than it is to be biased liberally. And so I think depending on the news agency, you know, I think there were times when Obama was president that Fox News did not give him a fair shake at all. Well, I, sure. think, I think CNN has never given Trump a fair shake. So I think um, I, I think I, I think they're they're all they're all guilty. I think it's very very unusual to find somebody who is truly wanting to represent the truth, and that's scary for me because it's like who do you get your who do you get your uh, your information from? But one thing I wanted to say before we wrap up, uh, Corey, is um, two two things about adaptability that I think people could really really be reminded of. There might be a case in this economy where you're going to have to you're going to have to completely change your profession, or you're going to have to completely change your business. Um, I think people always need to remember that excellence is a transferable skill. If you are excellent, you you're going to be good at anything you do in any industry. And uh, you know, Andy talks about you know anybody who listened to the podcast knows that Andy created seventy five hard and the mental toughness. I'm a loser. I still haven't finished it, so I'm going to have to start again until I get it right. But his point with mental toughness is that when you learn to truly be mentally tough, you don't have to take a class on, you know, a specific topic of success, like whether it's business or relationships. When you truly turn, when you, not that you can't learn things about, obviously, you know, communication and relationships. But the point is, is that when you learn to be mentally tough, it applies to every area of life. You know, and so that's what I feel like with uh, with with excellence. I mean, if you have to pivot, you're going to be successful. Um, so I think people just need to remember that and to and to encourage them with that. Uh, but the other thing, I, it's kind of a funny analogy, but uh, before my grandfather died, like he was just awesome, and I dreamt of inheriting. I wasn't old enough, but I dreamt of inheriting his. Uh, his 68 Ford Mustang, which I just thought, I'm not a car guy, but I've always loved that car. I mean, it was just awesome. And, um, and what's interesting is that, you know, since the time that Ford came out with the 68 Mustang, they tried several reiterations of that car and they never quite got it right. Well, finally in the early 2000s, they got a version of it that a lot of people loved because it seemed to capture the, the classic aspect of the old, the real classic look of the 68 Mustang, but it really modernized it. And it had, you know, modern contours and curves and aerodynamics. And so you were looking at something that you recognized, but it was brand new. And the designer that, that created that car called it retro futurism. 
the best of the old and the future. And I want to tell people like whenever there's a massive change in your life, whether you have to pivot, you have a chance to become retro future Corey, retro future Vaughn. You have a chance to be the classic person person that you are, but suddenly you're updated. You're changing, you're adding, you're, you're, you're creating new innovative aspects of yourself. And that version of you will be better than the one before. And so that's what change and transition does for us. It really creates that opportunity to become an even better version of ourself. And uh, so I'm just excited. I, you know, whenever there's chaos, uh, eventually there's going to be a reordering of things that generally is going to be better. That's, that's how things work. That's how things yeah. work spiritually. And that's how, you know, you got to have a crucifixion before you have the resurrection. That's just how it goes. Boom. That's a perfect way for us to wrap up. Ball. And that was such a great analogy, man. Um, so I'm doing 75 hard for the second time now, meaning I finished it one time and doing it again. Um, we also fasted. We did a water fast balling for five days. And wow. I know it during 75 hard. So um, it has changed so much for me. It's not even funny. It, well, like our whole, everything, our diet has completely changed. My mental clearness is so much clearer. I mean, it's, it's pretty unreal, the difference in, in how that has made. So anyway, I thought I'd share that with you because. That's awesome. God, well, it wasn't those five days, but after it was. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, listen, Vaughn, thank you so much for your, uh, for the call today. I really, really appreciate it. Love, love, love your story. Always love to hear it. It's fantastic. And you know what? I just got to thank you again, Bob. Thank you so much. You bet. Hey, could I ask a favor? Yeah. I would love for people to, uh, I'm going to start writing more long form posts. Um, yeah. To send out on my email, uh, just my personal email. If, if people could just go to, uh, vonkohler.com and, and sign up for, uh, for my email, I'm going to start, I'd love, and I'd love to get any, any feedback people have on that. But, um, it's, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, Instagram is great, but you're limited to what you can say because of the short space. So I'm going to start creating some more stuff. Uh, and hopefully, uh, I've got people that are on my email list, but I just have not gotten with it yet on, uh, on being consistent, but my starting in May, I'm going to do one once a week. Oh, and so yeah. Vaughn, uh, can you just go ahead and spell out because I don't know, you know, everybody can see your name, but I think go ahead and spell it out for everybody. So they yeah, V A U G H N K O H L E R dot com, and uh, love would love any feedback on my website. Uh, it, basically, I'm just trying to offer spiritual uh, help and 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 coaching for people who are over overachievers, you know. Perfect. Or, or consent. That, that's kind of an overuse. I would not call myself an overachiever, but I aspire to be one. So, you know, aspire to be excellence and uh, excellent in everything I do. So. Well, Vaughn, you, I, I think you are very, very much so an excellent person. You know, one thing I just want to say really quick before we get off, I thought about when you were talking about the anxiety and, and, and all of uh, cool. Somebody, Ralph, thank you for putting that up. He put your, Oh he, yeah. Thanks. Put, Ralph. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you take in, you know, I was in the, in the gym industry for a long time and 
it was really like counseling each client, to be honest with you, because they just come and dump on you. So right. I think that, you know, that, that anxiety attack you had is probably that the, the amount of emotional stuff that you take in is probably so much greater than what a normal person would take in because of your line of work. Um, and I bet that had something to do with it. Well, and I think you're right. And I think that was a reminder to me that I need to be more aggressive and making sure that I handle that well. Yeah, yeah. that's you're right. That's why a lot of pastors burn out because they're not they're not taking care of themselves the way they need to be. Yeah. So good point. Makes, makes good point. total sense. Corey, well, thank you so much, brother. I really dude. appreciate your patience and, uh, you know, nailing me down here. I'm yes. a little elusive. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you, Vaughn. I appreciate you, brother. Uh, let me just stop. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember. Greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.